here is their concern with falling away from this being literally six days. They're saying, this is God's word, and this is what it says, and it's 100% true in what it says, so we should take this as how it happens. And their fear is that if we back off of that view, then what are we going to do with the rest of the Bible? Very good thing. The people with the third view say, no, 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 you don't understand. We believe in the 100% inerrant truth of Scripture. This is 100% true. And we believe that each day represents a long period of time, an epoch. And what they say is that Genesis 1 is like a hymn. It's like a song about God. They're saying Genesis 1 is not a historical document talking about creation, but a song about creation. So that's the third view. Now, if you're opposed to the first view, if you're saying, no, 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 I, I, I don't think it could happen in six days. I don't think that's the case. Here's the warning to you. Don't think that God can't do that. God could do what God wants. He's God. He could create everything in six days. He could mess with us and make it look like it's a billion years. He could do whatever he wants to do. He's God. Okay? So if you're challenging the first view, you have to realize that. Now, if you're challenging the third view, here's what I would say. You have to understand those who are advocating for this third view that these are long periods of time. Each day represents a long period of time. You have to understand, they're saying, I'm submitting 100% to the authority of Scripture, and I believe that this is what Scripture is saying. This is what Scripture means by day. Okay, now let me give a warning for each of those two views. So here's the warning for the first view. The warning that I would give you if you're like, no, man, I'm 100%, 24-hour days, six of them, that's how creation happened. A while ago, there were two guys, John Calvin, Martin Luther. Some of the greatest minds that the church has ever produced. And when we started talking about the earth rotating, they said, and these are people that I like, love, I submit to like their, what they're saying, like they're, they are way smarter than me. But they said, when everyone started talking about the earth is rotating, they said, no, 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 the earth is not rotating. Because it says it in the Bible that the earth is fixed on firm foundations. Now today, all people who would call, the, call themselves Lutherans and Calvinists, they would say that the earth is rotating. What, what, they're, what, what we would say today is, well, that, that was meant to be seen as a metaphor, that the earth is fixed in foundations and God's in control of it, not that the earth is fixed and not moving. So there's the warning, like if you're saying, this is, this is what I'm holding to, these are the greatest minds that the church has produced and they missed it because they were seeing something that was meant to be a metaphor. It's like the same thing with Jesus, where he says, I am the door. Jesus is not saying he's literally a door, He's saying, I am the way to God. Okay, now here's the warning if you're saying, I'm a th- I-, I like the third view where a day is like this long period of time. Here's the warning. One, don't think God can't do that. But two, we talked about this last week. And if you missed it, you got to go back to it. If you're saying that one day is this long period of time, don't be doing it because science is supporting it. Okay, in other words, what's your authority? Is it scripture or is it what 
scientists are telling you who are working off of theories and hypothesis and what is your authority? That's the question. It's very easy for us to say, oh, you know what, I really want, someone says, I, I just, I can't believe in Christianity because obviously the world was not created in six days. There's too much science supporting it. Don't back off of scripture because you want to help somebody believe in Christianity. We have to hold the 100% authority of scripture. Okay, so those are the two warnings. And if you're saying, oh, well, then you're going to take the second view where there was this billions of years and then God created in six 24-hour days. No, I'm not. You say, well, what's your view, David? Well, it's going to drive you crazy because, I mean, I've been driving myself crazy trying to figure out. So here's my view. The creation story gives us just enough hints of how creation happened to drive us crazy. Why is that? Because the story is not trying to tell us how God created. The story is trying to tell us why and who. That's the primary meaning of what these verses are saying. If I'm going to tell you what these verses are saying, I've got to go to the why and the who, not the how. But I spent all of this time trying to figure it out, and look where it led me to, and I don't know. Now, if you're frustrated with that, well, you go figure it out, and you go tell me, because I can't figure it out. So you go, you tell me, you figure it out, and come and bring me the evidence, because I can't figure it out. Greater minds are confused about it. Greater minds than mine can't figure it out. So, okay. So, I want to go to the why, because I think that this is where we find the actual meaning of the creation story. Why is about purpose. Why have we been created? And what is God up to? What is God doing? God is up to something here, because the Israelites are in a very specific situation when they get this. These are the first words that God gives the Israelites and he's doing it on purpose. What is the purpose? Look, the creation story, follow it. We read a whole bunch, but follow, follow the pattern. It's about a movement from chaos to fullness. It's about this feeling of disarray that moves to this feeling of peace, like you can finally catch your breath in the green pasture lands. A world that goes from swirling chaos the waters are erupting to sitting in a boat on a peaceful lake with God with you. In other words, creation is a process that will continue until it's paradise. Now, you have to really understand the context that this story was spoken into. So the Israelites, they were living in a situation where life was impossible for them. There's two scenarios that they were either in when they got this. Either they were in slavery in Egypt and life was impossible there. It got so bad that every baby boy born was being killed by the Egyptians. Life was horrible. They were slaves. And that, either they were given this creation story in that situation or they had been freed 
by God from slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness wondering how they're going to get their next meal, wondering if they're going to be able to survive the next day. It was not their home. Life was not as it was meant to be. They were not happy there. So let me ask you this. If life is horrible for you and you are in life and death situations, are you going to say, hey guys, I really want to do a Bible study about how creation happened and it was it 24 hour days or was it actually day meant 12 hours and then what was happening for the next 12 hours and then also in day four, it looked like the there, there was no sun and moon before day four, until day four, so how, what did day mean before that? And then you just start getting into all of the little details of it. You're not asking those questions when you're in a life or death situation. You know what you're asking? What in the world is God doing and can he get me through this? They're either in one of those two situations, but whatever situation it is, life feels impossible. When you're in the midst of a storm in your life, what you want to know is, what is God doing right now? Can he bring me through this? Because this hurts. This is painful. And I'm not feeling like anybody is answering my prayers. What is God doing? You're in a void. You're in a darkness. You're in chaos. What is God doing? And the answer to the creation story is God is doing something wonderful. God is doing something great. He's bringing about a masterpiece. The creation story is proof to God's people as they are reading it that God can bring them out of slavery and he can bring them through the wilderness and he can create for them a world that they so long to be in. God and Moses are telling the Israelites we are in the wilderness. You know, darkness in the Bible represents evil. It represents life as it's not meant to be. There's voidness. There's like nothingness. There's chaos. And then what happens? It ends with this beautiful story where God and humanity are at peace together we love God. God's loving us. Later we're seen as the apple of his eye, it talks about. The point is, God is bringing about a recreation for the Israelites. And only the God of the Bible is the one who can do that for them. Only the God of the Bible is the one who can save them from slavery. Only the God of the Bible is the one who can carry them through the wilderness into the promised land where life is as it is meant to be, like it was in the original creation story. The message for you today is that you are a slave to sin and death. And God comes be the light to wake you up, to break, break you from the chains of sin and death and to bring you where next? Where do you go? You're in the wilderness. But guess what? You're in the wilderness. Life sucks in the wilderness. Life is hard in the wilderness. So what's God doing? The promise is God saying, I can bring you through the wilderness. I'm f I have formed the earth and I can form you. I can, fo I can form the land where you are meant to be one day. So press forward to the promised land because that's the whole point. All of the book of Genesis, the whole point of it is for God 
God encouraging the Israelites to press forward to the land that God would have them go to, the promised land into paradise. And that's the message for you today. And here's what you do. You keep looking. I mean, the Israelites are there. They're in the wilderness, and they keep looking back. And they keep wondering, is God doing something? Because it doesn't feel like God is here with us. And then they, say, they even say, let's go back to slavery. Let's go back to life in Egypt. And Moses is like, are you crazy that you were killing our boys and you want to go back there? They're not understanding what's happening. And so this message of this creation story is being deposited right into their lap to say, God's the one who freed you. And God is the God who formed the world. So you can trust that what's coming next is good for you. So, if you aren't a Christian, the message of the creation story is that right now you are in the void, you're in the chaos, and you're in slavery where life was like in Egypt. And the story of creation is saying the God of the Bible is the God who breaks you out of it. And it's not saying that once you become a Christian, you stop sinning. I know you Christians, and I see what you do. I'm just joking. It's saying that before you're a Christian, you are owned by sin and death. You're captive to it. Let's say it this way. Every single human being sins, and every single human being dies. But Christ frees you from the prison of sin and death, so it can't hold you anymore. So you sin, but it doesn't determine your destiny You die, but it is only a passage through to eternity. Or you think about it like this. If you've done something horribly dark, like you're arrested, you've done something very, very bad, and you get like life sentence, three life sentences. Good behavior doesn't get you out. You're in too deep. That is the message of the creation story. That is the message to what's being told to the Israelites while they're in slavery. You're in too deep. Your only shot is God coming for you. You need more than just good little things, uh, little nice thoughts to give people along the way. You need God to come and break you free. I was at a conference in Tampa this week, and uh, I made a new friend, a pastor friend. He's in California, and um, we were talking about kind of the state of Christianity in America, and he says, man, people in California hate Jesus. And I said, we have a bigger problem. People in Florida just don't care about them. Like, they sh- we sh- in California, Jesus says, I want to save you. I want to rescue you. I want to, like, break you out of slavery. And they just shoot him the middle finger. Here, we shrug our shoulders at him. Indifferent to him. In other words, in our area, we have a bunch, like, we're sleepers. We're sleeping through life. You know, we're, we're in the dark, and we don't realize we're in the dark because we're sleeping. Just passing through, sleeping through the claims of Christ, the pleadings of the Bible to come to faith. We're not wrestling with the bigger questions because we're just saying, eh, who cares? I'm happy with just a comfortable little life. And this Christianity thing seems to mess that up. You know what I feel like like the church is trying to do in, like in Florida? I feel like what we're doing, I feel like you know when people are sleeping and you go to their eye and you just like lift it up and it, this is like you look to be bothering them completely. Like 
but they don't wake up. They just keep sleeping through it as you're doing that. I feel like that's what we're doing in a way. Like we're just trying to open people's eyes. Listen to this. If, if, if you're a Christian, you're called the light of the world. Now, Christ is called the light of the world. So how are you the light? Well, Christ is the light and you are shining. He's shining his light upon you and it's reflecting off of you onto the world. So you're the light. So, so the closer you walk with Christ, the more of a light you are to the world and then you cluster together with a bunch of Christians and you start shining super bright and guess what happens? It's like there's a bunch of sleepers around but, but you know what's happening is you're opening up the shades with, in the middle of the day, somebody's sleeping. They've got blackout curtains and you swing the shades open like, oh, why are you doing this to me? And you're like, wake up. You're sleeping your life away. This this is like what I feel like we've got to be doing. Like this is, you know, this. <laughs> your, our, your job is to open the shades so that people will wake up to this truth. To think about it. Like just think. Like just start there. Like the bigger questions of life. Let's just start thinking about them. Um, okay, so let me talk to you now. So here's what happens. If, if you say okay, I believe this to be true, then immediately you are rescued and deposited into where? The wilderness. So if you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm on board with this, then you are in the wilderness. Um, J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings has a line that I think is wonderful. He says, not all those who wander are lost. And I think that's a good depiction a bit of the Christian life because here's we look lost a bit like we're we're Christians like we're following Jesus but then we start stumbling then we start questioning like I'm kind of doubting this like God I I know that you've promised this and I believed it but I'm not believing it right now like should I go back to Egypt should I turn around should I just go back to my old life because I'm really like I'm doubting it all we're wandering but we're not lost because God's not going to let us go but it looks like we're wandering because our eyes are not fixed on the one who is the creator of new life in us. So we fix our eyes on him, and then we don't look so much like wanderers anymore. Um, and and you got to know this. Like, if you became a Christian and you were expecting life to be easier, you've just been deposited into the wilderness, and the wilderness does suck. It does. And there are... There's a lot... There's a lot of preachers that will tell you, become a Christian and life's going to just get so awesome. And here's why, here's why that's not true. I mean, there's, there's in one sense, you have peace with God. That's awesome. Like, you have rest. That is awesome. But also, you're in the wilderness. And guess what happens? Now your eyes are opened. And you're seeing all the atrocities that are happening. And you're saying, man, this didn't bother me before, but it's starting to really bother me now. And I don't like how I'm feeling when I see what's going on in the world. And so then what starts happening is you get this discontent, like like a holy discontent. Like this is not the way life is supposed to be. So yeah, there's suffering. There's pain, there's evil, and there's death. This is not the way life is meant to end for you. The wilderness is not the end of the story. And you realize that, but that's where we are right now. And it's real. I mean, this is a real struggle. Like, we need to stop pretending like, I'm so tired of Christians that are like, oh, everything's so good all the time. It's not. You're in the wilderness. Like, either your eyes are closed or maybe you don't really understand what Christianity is. 
Um, whether it's just depression, a general discontent with life, a longing for more, a sick child, cancer, death, your own sickness, physical pain, emotional pain from having your heart ripped out by someone you love, just seeing evil in the world, whatever it is, we have these moments where we're very aware that we are in the wilderness. And the wilderness can get the best of you. And the message of the, the creation story is trust God in the wilderness. He's already freed you. You're in the wilderness now. And so look back and see that he's already freed you, but then look forward about where you're going. But realize you are in the wilderness. In verse 2, it says, The Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, or hovering over the waters. Now, something amazing happens in Deuteronomy. Moses writes this song. And in the song, he says this, God found us in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled us as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, the Lord guiding them. They would have read, heard Moses' song and read the creation story and saw the connection right away. It's using the same, if you knew the Hebrew, it's using the same stuff. So Moses is telling them that God is with them. He's circling them. He's hovering over them the same way he was hovering over the face of the deep and creating life, the same way he's hovering over you now in the wilderness and he's creating life, new life. He's hovering because things are not right. But he's hovering, so he will make them right one day. Same is true for you. Through the apple of his eye, he's hovering, he's with you. And he will succeed in creating, recreating you into who you're made to be and giving you the world that you long for one day. So, a lot of you know my son, Cruz, has a very rare disease. And it has wrecked our life. For the last 10 months, we've probably suffered more in the last 10 months than our whole lives combined. So my response, so my wife and I are very different. We have very different personalities. We're just, we're like, like everything I'm dumb at, she's smart at, essentially what I'm saying. So, so here's my response. When I see suffering coming, like I'm seeing these waves of suffering coming, like I'm like, all right, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to dodge these waves. I'm going to do what we need to do so this doesn't destroy our family. So I'm thinking that Elise is doing this. The waves are coming. I'm like, I know, we got to get ready to dodge them. And she said, the waves are coming. I know, we got to get ready to dodge them. And then the waves hit us. And she said, we just got hit by the waves. I'm like, I know, we got to dodge the waves. Both of us are handling it completely wrong, I realized this week. Here's what we've got to do. This is going to sound very strange. We have to embrace what's happening. Be discontent with it. We're in the wilderness, but also we have to realize that God is the one who brought the Israelites into the wilderness. God is the one who has brought us to this place. That's our journey through it. Now, let me tell you what I mean more by embracing the pain. So, this is about Jesus. Jesus wanted to go to the cross, but he didn't want to go to the cross. He knew what the cross was going to bring to him. 
intense spiritual suffering, spiritual like death in life. But I mean, he's, go, he's walking in to his worst nightmare. But at the same time, he wants to go. Why? Here's what the Bible tells us. It was a joy that was set before. It was the joy, the cross was the joy that was set before him because of what it would produce in you. And if that is true, then that means we have a God who takes suffering and uses it. He'll, he'll use it to redeem anything. That means no matter what we're walking through, God will use it for good. That means God will not let you lose in the wilderness because he's a God who fights for you. He's a God who brings you through whatever and he carries you where? Right into the promised land. And you know, the Israelites were brought into the wilderness and guess what? They stayed longer than they were supposed to. Why? Because they weren't trusting God. God is carrying us into the wilderness and he's teaching us to trust him. So now, I say this, when I'm feeling courageous, wilderness bring whatever, pain, suffering, loss, do whatever you want because it, you know what? All it can do is recreate me and my family more. And the same thing is true for you. No matter what comes at you, you're with God. He's hovering over you. He sees what's happening to you. He's brought you into the wilderness, but he has promised that he is going to do a good work. And the end ends in paradise. And all that can happen to you now in the wilderness is anything that comes at you, God is there with you, and he's just going to bring trust out more in you. He's going to teach, he's teaching you to trust him. And doesn't that sound so strange, though? I mean, this sounds so weird. Like, it's, but it's part of the faith journey. God pushing into you so that you'll trust him more. To trust he's recreating you. Okay, so that's the why. Here's the how. No, not the how, the who. I feel like I'm in Dr. Seuss right now. The, the thing is, none of this, none of, God do, covering over, like doing all of this great work, that, none of that happens until you go to him, the God of creation, the who of creation. The, the story of creation is not just telling you why, but it's telling you who. See, here's what you've got to understand. We read this and we don't understand the context. There are other creation stories floating around that the Israelites would have known as this gets deposited into their lap. And by the way, very similar stories that what we read in Genesis 1 through 11. There's a story of creation. There's a story of a flood. There's a story of these huge giant people walking around the earth. And you say, oh, that's just proof that the Bible is a myth. No, it's not. It's proof that God has given us an alternative story, the true story, the true way that all of this went down. Because all the world's trying to figure it out, and then God speaks as if to say, all right, now it's time to listen up. There's a recent discovery of a document that looks very much like chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis, but it's through a very different perspective. There are two gods, and they're fighting, and uh, one, one god, good god, rips an evil god in two. He just rips him in two. And then that is how the sky forms. What is the good news in that? 
Like, the world was created by this evil corpse, essentially. You look up at the sky, oh, that's just an evil corpse you're looking at. Like, that is not good news. And that does not sound good if you're walking in the wilderness or if you're in slavery to sin and death. Like, oh, it's okay, just remember, the sky's a corpse. Like, that is not good news. The story of creation is saying God actually has created in the world and it was good. He created something out of nothing and it is good and it was good. But then sin came into the world and wrecked it all. But guess what? He's the God of creation, so he's going to recreate again and he's going to fix what we have done to this world. That is so important. That's the alternative message. The message is don't go to other so-called gods while you're walking in the wilderness or when you're in slavery because they're not going to give you what you need. They're going to give you a story, a false story, to help you try to understand what's happening. And guess what? That's what we do with our life. We go through difficulties, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, and we, get to these, we start going to these false truths to explain what's going on. It's a sense what we're doing is this is false gods we're going to. We're going to, this is idolatry. This is false worship. This is going to something that's not God and trying to find answers to the questions of life, the big questions of life, and they're not going to give you the answers that you need. They will not deliver you from sin and death and they will not give you peace in the midst of the wilderness. And this is what I was doing. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I'm trying to form like strategies of how we're going to dodge the suffering instead of just fully trusting God and what he's doing. And I'm not saying right now that I'm doing that the way that I should. I don't know how to do it, but you know what? I do know that God is teaching me how to do it. And that's all I need to know. I don't have to stand up here and pretend to you because I'm a pastor that I know how to walk through difficulties in life. I don't know what I am doing. But I have the good news of Christ and I have the good news of the Bible that will teach me and God will not let me down in the midst of it. I was trying to recreate our lives using all kinds of things, whatever it could do. Like... That's what I'm going to, whatever. I just want our family to survive this. And we just need to go and trust God. Because he's the God of creation and he's the God who recreates. I'm telling you, we are in the wilderness and we are looking at all kinds of ways to get out of it other than God. And when we do that, we miss God. In the end, it's not money that will help you through the wilderness. It's not a strategy for avoiding pain. It's not drugs or alcohol or some type of thing you use to escape. It's not a new job. It's not a new place to live. It's not positive thinking and it's not a new spirituality. It is the God of creation. And even, you know, you need to know this too. Even good things do not help you escape from slavery. Even good things do not help give you peace in the midst of the wilderness. You being a good person does not break you free from slavery. And you being a good person does not give you peace in the midst of the wilderness. A moral life, helping others, being a good parent, a hard worker, a good worker, none of this gets you through this. It is God and God alone. Your first reaction when suffering comes, when loss comes, when difficulties come, is to go to God. Make Him your first answer. And maybe right now you're thinking still like, well, how could God do this to us? How could God bring us into the wilderness? 
Well, part of the answer is we've done it to ourselves. But the second part of the answer is that now God's come into it to come get us. We wrecked it, and he's coming in. Actually, actually, he's already passed through it. He's come into death, and he's broken through it. And he's walked in the wilderness, and now he's in paradise, preparing a room in the Father's house for you to be in forever. Let me show you what he does. God in Christ comes into this world, this fallen world, this broken world, this world that has turned into darkness, that world has turned into a chaos. And before he begins his ministry, guess what he goes to do? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. How long were the Israelites in the wilderness? 40 years. Huh. Interesting. And then begins his ministry. Where? In a, in, in a fallen world, in the chaos. He's entering into it again. And then he's crucified on the cross outside of the city gates, meaning he's outside of paradise. He's in the chaos. He's in the void. He's in the darkness. He is in death. The ultimate nothingness, and he becomes a slave to it. But then guess what he does? He breaks out of it. Why? Because he's the God of creation. The same way that God brought life out of the void, out of the darkness, out of the chaos, the same way Jesus enters into death and then creates life again, and he breaks through death. And then how many days does he spend on the earth before he ascends into heaven with God, paradise? Forty days. So, he's in the, so he breaks through sin and death. Like he, he literally becomes sin, breaks through it for us, walks in the wilderness of this world for 40 days, and then sends to heaven to be in paradise. And now the great hope of Christianity is that he will finish the job one day. And that's what we wait for. And we're in the wilderness until then. But notice, we put our faith and our trust in him, and we follow right through death. We follow right through into the wilderness and then into paradise. That's good news. And that will give you rest in the wilderness. He's making you into a masterpiece. He's making the world into a masterpiece one day. And he did all that for you so you would trust him. So you would love him. So he could have you. So you could be the apple of his eye again. So go to him. Like, just go. And so today we're taking communion. And this is a wonderful way for you to demonstrate I'm going I'm, I, I'm going to you in the midst of the wilderness I'm going to you I'm, I'm leaving slavery behind and I am going to you because I trust you more than I trust me more than I trust a strategy more than I trust a better God Psalm 119 130 the unfolding of your words gives light. Listen, listen. 
The unfolding of your words gives light. You know what communion is? It's a visual, it's the visual words of the gospel. Communion. When we do, when we do this, here it is. When we do this, this is the visible words of the gospel. Meaning, it's the gospel words being acted out. Meaning, it's the good news of the God who will be recreating you being acted out. And then you participate in it as a way of saying, I believe this is true, so I'm going to trust you, so I'm going to participate in this as if your story has now been changed and now you are being recreated. By faith, you're saying, I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink, be nourished, because I trust you. So what we're going to do, and by, oh, by the way, we're going to do something different this week. Um, if, if you want somebody to be praying for you, we have two people in the back to pray for you. So if, as you're taking communion, if you say, man, I could really use some prayer, you just go back there. Um, you're going to kind of have to wiggle your way over, but you can go over that way and then go towards the back. Okay? So here's how we do this. Um, there's two tables. There's juice or wine. You take the bread and you dip it in whichever one you want, juice or wine. Okay? Um, and this is a way for you to say, God, I'm yours in the wilderness. God, I'm yours. Rescue me. Every step is a step of faith towards that truth. So I, I, you know, I really want you guys to just have a moment with God. Like, to just reflect on this and what God is doing in your life and what life is like in the wilderness and how you really need God, a God you can trust, and he's there. I really want you to just lean into that and just, if you don't believe it's true, just think about it for a bit. Um, I, I just want you, God, to have a moment together. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do this. Uh, so, yeah. Father, um, it's so easy for us to shrug our shoulders at your son coming for us. God, I pray that you wouldn't let us do that anymore. But you would open up our eyeballs so we would see that we are in the darkness and we so, so, so need a rescuer. And we would see that you are that rescuer who's come. And God, I just ask now that you would just hug us That, that we would see that we can get a hug from you because you have dealt with our sin. You've dealt with death. And now we can just hug you. And so God, I pray now that you would just wrap your arms around us as your church. You wouldn't let us go. And you'd give us the peace and the comfort that we need as we're walking through the wilderness of this world. And God, I pray that as we're we're through this and it's not making sense to us and life doesn't make sense. I pray, God, that your spirit now would hover over us and scream inside of us out for the Father saying, God, I trust you now. Give us that, God. Give us that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.